Well, good morning. As we continue our series today, uh, I hope that you do believe in God. I hope you do believe in His Word. And as we've spent the last two weeks, and we'll conclude today looking at the proofs and the reliabilities of God's Word, I hope that you will continue to be encouraged uh, about the evidence that God has made clear both within the Word, uh, as we looked last week outside of the Word, that has been discoverable uh, in recent past to prove that this is accurate, to prove that it is trustworthy, to prove that what we still have today, even after all the different translations, is accurate. Um, I hope that you've been encouraged. When you really think about the Bible being written uh, over a 1,500-year period of time by 40 different authors from all different styles of life, and you look at the astonishing agreement contained within the pages of the Bible, it is absolutely amazing uh, that there's this agreement, that you can see the themes throughout the Bible, mainly the redemption of man that's all intertwined throughout the Scripture. Uh, it's, it amazes me especially as a skeptic. And yet, there's lots of people who would still disagree with us that the Bible uh, is not infallible, as we saw last week, that the Bible is just a, it's a book of stories, it's myths, that it's not historically accurate, as we showed and, and proved last week that it is. They would still disagree with us. And some of the reasons that they would disagree with us is because they would say that there's all sorts of contradictions contained within the Bible. Therefore, if it is God's holy word, that it, it, there would be no contradictions. And so this morning, I want to take a look briefly at some of the contradictions that they say are there. And then we're going to end up looking at probably my most favorite part of the proof of God's word in the prophecies. Uh, there are so many prophecies in here, uh, most of which have already come true, some of which are yet to come true, that for me uh, really began to change my mind when I, I was real skeptical about God's Word. But let's look at some of the supposed contradictions that are there. If, if you go to Leviticus chapter 20, verses 19 and, and or Leviticus 24, rather, uh, we, we know this. It said, if anyone injures his neighbor as, as he has done, so shall it be done to him. Anybody have some neighbors that you'd like to do that with? Don't raise your hand. Uh, fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, whatever injury has been given to, to him, that person shall be given to him. And so everybody smile for me real quick. Let me see your teeth. I'm looking to see if somebody's got a tooth that's out. I'm just kidding. And so we have that in Leviticus. And then when you go to in, in Luke, uh, it's in, in chapter 6, verse 29, it says, The one who strikes you on the cheek, offer him the other also. And the one who takes away your cloak, withhold, uh, do not withhold your tunic. And so you, you look in the Old Testament, it says one thing, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And then in the New Testament, we have something that's different, and, and many would say that this is a contradiction. The, the Old Testament and the New Testament are not together, as, as I've been claiming for the last couple of weeks, that they're not. Uh, and, and so they would say that there's a contradiction. Therefore, it cannot be, as you say, God's holy word without error. And so for many in churches today that when people put these out there, we go, well, yeah, they're those do seem to be in conflict. And so how do we justify that? Well, here's the amazing thing. In Matthew 5, Jesus actually justified it himself. Where he's referring to this, he said, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, then turn him the other also. And you might say, well, how does that answer the question, Dave? I pose this to you. Has what the Old Testament said been changed? 
or has Jesus just elevated the bar a little bit? Let me put it in terms of my boys. When my boys were young, uh, as you guys know, I, I love the outdoors, love to hunt and fish, and, and so we, we've always had guns in the house, and so when my boys were young, uh, they could look but not touch, and they were very young. Uh, they could look and not touch. Of course, they're not loaded, so it's not that big a deal, but as they got older, they could touch but not shoot. As they got a little bit older, I actually bought them a BB gun. Now, we lived in Alabama. Alabama's a little bit different than here, and you can go out your back door, and you can shoot as much as you want. And so uh, with the BB gun, they, they could shoot if I was there. And then as they got older, and they, I, could I knew that they understood gun safety, and they respected the weapon, then they could go out and shoot on their own within certain parameters. Then they got a twenty-two. Before we left and moved here, the boys would go out in the backyard and shoot all the time. Now, did my rules change? No. The rule was the same the whole time. The rule was gun safety. But as their maturity developed, then I gave freedom within that. And may I suggest that with this, the, the standard has been the same. That it's God's standard. You know, that there's always going to be punishment for somebody's wrongdoing. And so Jesus didn't change what the Old Testament said. He just raised the bar a lot higher. You know, it's, it's not an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. It's like, I will take care of them. Matter of fact, what I want to do is I want to glorify myself through you as you, you know, let them have even more than they're asking for. Now, does that mean that we are a doormat? No, not at all. It's not what Jesus is saying. He has elevated the bar to the glory of God no matter what the circumstance. He didn't change it. And so where people like to use some of these things and say there is a contradiction, when you look a little bit closer, there's no contradiction. Jesus just raised the bar a little bit more. Well, here's another one that we, we see in the Word of God. In fact, this is even within the New Testament that people would use as an argument. In, in Matthew 27, we see that, that where Judas went out and hugged himself. It says, so Judas, the betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned. He changed his mind and, and brought back the 30 pieces of silver uh, to the chief priests and the others, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver in the temple, he departed, and he went out, and he hanged himself. We understand that. We know that. But in Acts, in chapter 1, verse 18, here's what it says there. And it says, Now, a man acquired a field, and with the reward of his wickedness and fallen, he fell headlong, and he burst open in the middle with all his bowels gushing out. This is referring to Judas. And so on the one hand, uh, in, in the Gospels, we have that he went out and hung himself. In Acts, we, we see that he's fallen, and, and his gut split wide open. Not a pretty scene, is it? And so here we have, according to some people, another contradiction. And so when you read it, you go, one says one thing and one says the other. Well, a lot of times if we just take what arguments people are saying and we don't ask for God to give us discernment and God to give us wisdom, it's easy for us to go down this trail and go, well, yeah, there's a contradiction. Well, let me show you a picture. I was just here a month ago, standing not far from the walls of Jerusalem, and this is, this is actually a a monastery on the very place where they believe Judas went out and hung himself. Now look at the topography. It is very rocky. It, it, there's cliffs all around. Did Judas hang himself? Yes, he did. Did he fall to the ground? Yes, he did. Both happened, right? And so what probably happened? Look at the trees there. Do they look big and strong? To some degree. So he probably went out there and he jumped off 
of a cliff onto a tree. He hung himself, and what most likely happened is the branch broke, and he fall. He fell onto these, this rocky bottom, and he burst open. Both are right. But when you look at the context, people go, see, there is a contradiction, and they want to then throw out all of the word of God, and they say, because there's a contradiction there. When we would just stop and pray for wisdom and discernment, I believe God will open up our eyes when you see the land. Man, it makes sense when you read the text and you look at that go, I get it. And so there's, there's lots of things that I don't really have time this morning to go into that people like to use and pick pieces of, of the Scripture and say there's contradictions here when in reality there is no contradiction at all. But here's what I love the most. And here's what I go to time and time again is the prophecies that are found in God's Word. And there are all sorts of prophecies. One guy, he counted them all, and he came up with 1,817 different prophecies. Others have a little bit more. Uh, he said that there's 1,239 in the Old Testament and 578 in the New Testament. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't have time to sit there and count all those, so I'll take his word for it. But there's all sorts of prophecies in the Bible, and we clearly don't have time to go through all of them this morning. But what I want to do is just go, for a, go through a few of them, uh, just a few of the predictions of Jesus. Here's what amazes me, again, when you look at the truth of God's Word and you look at what's contained in it. As we looked at, at last week, either it's historically accurate or it's not. If it's not historically accurate, then how can we say it's God's Word? If it's with error, how can we say it's with God's Word? Probably one of the best things in here are the prophecies. The predictions in advance of what's going to happen, did they come true or not? Now, yeah, there's about 500 or so prophecies that have yet to come true, but what about the others? Uh, and as you contain all these and you just look at the prophecies of Jesus, um, the odds of him just fulfilling a few of them is, is astronomical. That one man would fulfill one, let alone the, all of they did, it's, it's off the charts astronomical that he'd even fulfill those things. And so here's the crazy thing. If we were to talk in a different context and we were to say something about, hey, what if I could predict uh, your child's name that you'll choose 10 years from now, where you're going to be when that child's born? where you're going to go afterwards, and what's going to happen to that child. And, and, oh, by the way, what if I was able to predict your child the way the chi your child would die? People would think you're crazy, wouldn't they? But what if it came true? So here's the reality when it comes to God's Word. At the very minimum, 250 years prior to, actually it's a lot more than that. It's double and triple that. But we have the Septuagint. Do you all know what the Septuagint is? It is the Old Testament translated into Greek. Remember, the Old Testament's written in Hebrew. It was written into Greek. So that was written 250 years prior to the birth of Jesus Christ. And contained within the Septuagint are all these prophecies. You see, the reason I say that is because one of the main arguments for this is that people came in after the fact and manipulated and changed what was already there so that you can have this incredible agreement. But we see in the, in the Septuagint that it's already there. So let's just go through quickly, you know, maybe take some notes on this so that you can have it just as a, a launching point for people to say that this is not accurate, to say, well, hey, are you aware of this? So here's the amazing thing. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years prior to the birth of Christ, his birth was predicted. And Micah 5, 2, talks about that in Bethlehem, that, that that's where Jesus was going to be born. Here's what it says in 5, 2. But, O Bethlehem. 
Epaphra. You are too little among the, the clans of Judah, but from you shall come forth from me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Well, you might say, well, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. How about in Hosea 11.1 where it says, when Israel was a child, I loved him, but out of Egypt I called my son. We look down a little bit further in, in Matthew you know, we see something else. Says, when he went and he lived in a city called Nazareth, so that it was spoken by the prophets that might be fulfilled that he would be called a Nazarene. Now, if you're a skeptic like me and you look at these three different passages, they don't all exactly seem to coincide with each other. As a matter of fact, it almost looks like we have a variety of different things, Bethlehem, Egypt, and Nazareth. So do we have another contradiction? Well, let's, let's see. You know, and and we, know, we know the story you know, well enough that where, where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. We see that in Matthew 2, verses 1 and 2, that after, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem and Judea in the days of Herod, behold, what happened? Wise men came from the east in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw the star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. We're going to see a little bit later that even the wise men, that they would come, and the gifts that they would bring was prophesied hundred years, hundreds, hundreds of years before. What about the fleeing to Egypt? We, we see that, that, you know, uh, uh, the Lord appeared to, to Joseph in a dream, and he said, rise, take the mother and child and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. So he went to Egypt. So the, the prediction that out of Egypt I've raised up my son, you know, it's, it just amazes me when we look at all these different things, you know, that when he went, they came back from Egypt, we see in Matthew chapter 2 and 19 through 23, that where'd they go when they came back from Egypt? To Nazareth. All these things were predicted hundreds of years before, and we see the evidence of that in the New Testament of how, where he was born, and then they had to flee to Egypt with their life because Herod was coming after them, and then when they came back, they went to where? Nazareth. All predicted in advance. Well, here's one that's crazy that a lot of people just can't wrap their minds around, and this is where we have to buy faith, but here it was predicted before that Jesus would be born of a virgin. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they should call his name what? Emmanuel. It sounds like it's written right out of the New Testament. It was written hundreds and hundreds of years prior to the birth of Jesus Christ. And then in Matthew 1, Verse 18 and then verse 24 and 25, we see now the birth of Christ took place this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. That just doesn't make sense. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And they called his name Jesus, Emmanuel, which means God with us. When you start stacking these prophecies up one upon the other upon the other and you see that when they were predicted, you see when they were fulfilled, it continues to give proof and evidence to the Bible that it is indeed God's word. You know, a lot of people want to say, well, Jesus wasn't God's son. Well, guess what? That was predicted as well. In Isaiah chapter 9, it says, For unto us a, a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty what? God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. 
You know, that even in Isaiah, he's predicting that. In 2 Samuel 7, verse 12 through 16, says, When your days are fulfilled, you will lie down with your fathers. I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And when... He commits iniquity, I will discipline him from the rod of men and the stripes of men. Uh, by my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall made, be made forever before me. Your throne shall be established. This is a throne that is established forever, not a temporal throne on earth, a throne that is established forever. And so you might say, okay, what proof do we have of this in the New Testament? Again, you, you go over to Matthew in chapter 3. It says, when Jesus was baptized... Right, here we have the scene, and, and, and I was standing there in the Jordan River, probably somewhere in the vicinity of where Jesus was baptized. And it's interesting that even as I came up out of there, I was just walking and just spending some time contemplating. And guess what there was walking on the ground around there? White doves. When Jesus was baptized, immediately he came up out of the water, and behold, the heavens were opened up to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove. And coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Again, you see evidence from the Old Testament, proof in the New Testament, that even his name was predicted. We've seen this already in, in Isaiah chapter 7. Therefore, you shall be given a sign, and behold, the virgin you know, shall conceive and bear a son, and shall be called his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. So maybe you're not convinced yet. Maybe you're thinking, okay, well, I hope you're convinced. But here's the, even the small details that God doesn't want to go miss, that these wise men that came from the east, it's even predicted what gifts they would present. If you look in Psalm 72 and verse 10, it says this, May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba uh, and, and Sheba bring gifts. And then you go to Isaiah chapter 60 and verse 6, and it says this, A multiple of camels shall come over you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah, and, and, and those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring, look at this, gold and frankincense, and shall bring good news of the praises of the Lord. Matthew chapter 2, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and the king, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Verse 11, and going to the house, they saw the, the child with his mother Mary, and they fell down and worshiped him. They opened up their treasures, and they gave him gold and frankincense and myrrh. Coincidence? Maybe. One of them. But when you stack these prophecies, one on top of the other, on top of the other, God is giving us these convincing proofs that this is not a religion this is not just something that makes us feel good. This is not a book of myths. This is not just something that, as I'll do again this afternoon in this memorial service, use this to encourage people after a, a tremendous loss. This is God's word. It is true. It is holy. It is without error. This is God's instruction for us. It's God's communication to us. It's God's giving us the parameters that he designed you and me to live within so that we can experience life to the full. And so, you know, it just amazes me. The proofs that God gives us in his word. 
from the beginning to the end, you see the themes throughout, the, the themes of God's redemption of man. Yeah, we see who God is. We see that he's a holy, a just, a God, that he is, that he can't stand sin. But yet he provided a way for us to have a relationship with him that through this book, this special revelation, he has revealed himself to us through this book that has been translated so many different times. He's allowed us, as we saw last week, to discover the Dead Sea Scrolls that, that date back prior to the very transcripts that the original King James Version was, was translated from. He's given us these convincing proofs, both within the word and outside the word, that this is still 100% accurate. And yet, most people in America have not just one of these, not just two of these, but all sorts of Bibles that sit on shelves, collecting dust, are very rarely open. This is the Word of God. It is living, it is breathing, it is active. It's meant to guide us into all truth, it's meant to draw us to an understanding of God, but more importantly than that, it's meant to bring us to Jesus. I don't know where you are today. I know this has been a very difficult week for many people with things that people knew were going to happen, sudden things that have happened, and oftentimes when we go through the trials and tribulations of life, we, we doubt God. We wonder why he would allow things to happen. You know, I don't have the answers to all of life's questions. I don't have the answers of why people go through things. But I keep going back to this. God, who is the author and perfecter of faith, God, who has made his glory known, he has given us everything that we need, whether it's contained within the pages of a book, whether it's on your phone, whether it's on your computer. Do you believe in your heart that this is accurate, that this is reliable? And if so, how's that reflected in your life? If we really believed that God Almighty spoke truth into 40 different men's lives as they penned his instruction to us over a 1,500-year period of time so that we could live life abundantly according to the way he designed you specifically to live, if we really believe this was God's word. Would we read it a little bit more? Would we follow and obey it a little bit more? I shared this last week, and God has been continuing to pour this truth out in my life. I was even having a conversation about spiritual leadership this morning. If we would just read this, ask God to reveal his truth to us as we see all throughout this word, lead us into all truth, follow the example that's given within it, promote his will, his way, and his glory, in everything we do, God will take care of the rest. It's not about leadership. It's not about the promoting of self. It's about the promoting of God and his truths and his word. And when we do those things, God's blessings come. When we get away from those things, 
he removes his blessing. So wherever you are today, if you're in a dry spell, sometimes God does that to allow our roots to go deeper into him so that we are, our faith increases, but sometimes it's because we've gotten away from his word. We've gotten away from the truth of his word. Sometimes Satan has taken us down and he's given us a beating because we don't understand the truth of God's word. But I know this. When we submit to his will and his way and his glory, everything takes care of itself. As we come to our time of invitation this morning, I just wonder what would be a proper response for you today. Obviously, we need to be in his word a lot more. But it's one thing just to read it and to walk away forgetting what we read. But if this is God's special revelation to us and we read it looking for God to reveal truth to us and God to guide us in the midst of how we live and we look for how God wants to use it to transform our lives and then we see the evidence of that, your life will be transformed. Many people are in churches today sitting in pews doing their duty because for them it's just religion. This isn't religion, folks. It's a relationship with God Almighty who so wants to communicate with you through his word, through his Holy Spirit who lives with inside of you or if you are his child. He wants to transform you from the inside out. And so as we come to this time of invitation, I don't know where you are. I don't know what commitment that you need to make. But I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal all truth to you and to ask him to say, tell you what it is that he's asking you to respond to. And then I want you to do something that maybe you don't normally do. Make a commitment to follow through on what he's speaking to you right now. It's so easy to sit there. I've been there. And as tired as I am this morning, it's tough for me to even pay attention to what I'm saying myself right now. But the enemy right now wants you to tune out and not respond to the truth and to the amazing facts of the trustworthiness of his word. I can tell by the look of some of your faces that you're as tired as I am or that you're going through some difficult stuff. If his word is true, if his word is as powerful as we've shown it is, it has the power to help you through whatever it is you're going through right now this morning. And I encourage you to leave it at his feet, to trust him, to get back in his word and allow him to lead you into all truth so that you can experience him in ways you never have before. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word and the proof and the evidence of your word and the trustworthiness of your word. God, I thank you for the prophecies. I thank you for the amazing things that you have done uh, in your word and the truths that have come true. But Lord, so many times we don't allow that to, to impact our, our lives. We don't allow that to even get into our minds and to increase our faith in ways that you desire for it to be increased. And so, Father, I pray right now that you would allow us to understand as only we can understand through the power of your Holy Spirit, the truth is your word. But Lord, that we would respond in a way that is appropriate. Lord, that we would get back into your word, that we would study it because you are the God who loves us and wants to communicate with us. And Lord, you've given that to us through your word. Lord, we talked earlier this morning about having an influence on this nation. Lord, that can only take place if we allow you to influence our lives. And then we live that out in community 
And so, God, right now, I pray that you would bless through the power of your Holy Spirit in a mighty way. In Jesus' name, amen.